Hey everyone, this is your friend Bully, and you're listening to Bully Esquire. In this podcast, we chat with the movers and shakers from the worlds of finance, tech, crypto, politics, law, and media, and everything in between. Thanks for joining. Let's dive in. This podcast is powered by Blockworks, the fastest growing crypto media company. Blockworks has 20 crypto and finance podcasts, and I'm excited to be part of the network. Visit blockworks.co for access to the highest quality information in the space. I promise you won't be disappointed. Today's episode is sponsored by Femix, Radix, and RSK. You'll hear more about them later in the episode. Today, I have Brad Mickelson, um, a marketing whiz at eToro and has his own Substack. So I'm excited to chat with him about all things crypto marketing, um, which is a topic I think that's underexplored. And I'm sure Brad has thoughts on that too. Brad, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. Yeah, no, thanks for taking time out. I know it's um, a federal holiday, so I appreciate you <laughs> <laughs> um, taking time. So yeah, man, I, you know, I, I've every, every guest I have on, I'm always interested in sort of how they got into the cryptocurrency space or how they got into their current role. Um, so if you don't mind just spending a few minutes to tell my listeners how you ended up in this crazy space, that'd be awesome. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I first discovered Bitcoin in uh, 2012. Um, I have uh, a little cousin as well as a, a friend from high school who were, you know, already into Bitcoin mining and and sort of building their own crypto projects uh, back then. And then, you know, sort of at the same time, um, I saw it popping up more and more on Reddit. So just sp- started spending more time. Um, you know, in the subreddits, playing around in our Bitcoin and just trying to catch up because back then it was a lot more uh, lingo uh, and not as, you know, uh, meme I guess, as the current our Bitcoin. It was just less inviting overall. So you really had to pay attention and, and uh, read up to catch up, which was, you know, a, a good uh, learning curve. And then, uh, you know, a couple years later, I realized there, I had a friend back home who was also into Bitcoin. And then uh, he realized he had another friend who was also secretly into Bitcoin. So we actually started, excuse me, started um, a Slack group that we actually still have today. And we'll talk about, you know, news and market sentiments and whatnot. So that's been really fun. And then, uh, and then about four years ago, started working in crypto as well. I I, uh, got my first job in crypto at a DEX in 2018. And then uh, I moved over to BlockFi after that and helped them launch the BlockFi interest account. And then for the last year and a half, I've been at eToro um, helping them um, expand their uh, their brand in the US, which has been a lot of fun. Sure. Are you, has, have all those roles been mainly marketing or is it like a mix of product? I know you mentioned launching. So are you helping on the product side or is it all just like pure marketing? Uh, well, when you're a senior marketer at any brand, typically you have a finger in the product side as well. Um, this is, you know, what you'd call product marketing. So um, when you're looking at that, you're, th- you're lo- thinking about things like um, user experience, user journey, uh, conversion rates. Uh, so you're not necessarily designing things from scratch. You're sort of providing ideas for optimizations to make it easier maybe for someone to sign up or to complete a certain objective, uh, a certain conversion. Um, so that's sort of the role that marketing has in, in product. And I typically like to have a, a finger in that as much as possible because, you know, at the end of the day, it, it helps my metrics uh, get better. For sure. And are, do you have a, like a background in marketing? Is your education in marketing or did you just sort of fall into it? Uh, I kind of fell into it. So I went to, to college for journalism and uh, political science. And back then I was, I was a, a mostly a music journalist. Um, I started when I was in high school, uh, kept doing that through college. I was an editor at my college paper. And then after college, I started um, like a small PR agency for, for bands uh, back home and, and regionally back home. So um, did that for a bit. And then I moved to New York. Um, I was doing mostly journalism internships, but I got one marketing internship uh, and that was kind of fun. And then I got my first job as a copywriter. Um, so that was sort of my first step into the marketing realm. And after that, I went to um, 
uh, basically a small digital agency here in New York and learned the ins and outs of paid media, uh, worked my way up to director of strategy there and, and then eventually went in-house at a e-commerce brand before moving into crypto. Nice. And so now you're at eToro um, and what's, what's your role there? So I run the U.S. marketing department for, for eToro. So there's currently 10 of us um, and we'll be expanding rapidly uh, this year, which is really exciting. Awesome. And so I know you sort of mentioned it earlier, but like what, what is kind of your general goal with crypto marketing? I mean, is it just to like get exposure and users to the platform and the, and the product? I think, uh, I think it's kind of two things. First off is uh, growing brand recognition and trust within the crypto industry. Obviously, your lowest funnel customers are going to be people who are already interested in crypto. Uh, maybe they already have uh, another exchange they like to trade with. So you're trying to identify those, um, those unique selling points, those USPs to help uh, bring those people over onto your platform. You know, I, I think that everybody has two or three exchanges that they use for different reasons. And over the last year and a half, we've been able to make eToro um, one of those choices for quite a few people, which is really exciting. And, you know, that's, that's sort of the main objective, just trying to grow ourselves in the space and then, um, you know, grow our user base. But on top of that, there's also uh, a certain amount of effort that we put into, and I think everyone does as well, is onboarding new people into the ecosystem and having your project be the first place they go. So uh, we have found particularly uh, in this bull run that we're in right now, that there are a lot of people who are new to crypto um, that are coming to us to learn. Um, they like the social features on our platform. They like the copy trader features on our platform. Uh, makes it a little bit more approachable for them rather than just going to a normal exchange and, and hitting buy. Um, you know, you have things like user interfaces that are a little bit closer to the brokerages that they're used to for their stock trading or whatever else. So um, this is something that I think everybody's working on and there isn't a, um, you know, there isn't a formula to get these people. Um, this is sort of where the art comes into the science of marketing, where you're, you're just trying to make sure that you are showing up where these places, these people go um, as often as possible. And uh, we've done a really good job uh, doing that this year, which is really fun. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I mean, the, the copy trader thing's interesting. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Like how it works? Um, do, do traders sign up and then they basically just broadcast their trades and then other folks can just say, okay, I want my portfolio to mimic that. Yeah, kind of. So globally it works a little bit different than it does in the U S and that's mostly just because of regulation. Mm -hmm. So globally, the way it works is, um, you know, everyone on the platform has uh, a profile. So you could go to my profile, see all the trades that I've done on my account previously. You can see my P&L of all those trades and, and my account in general and say I'm up, you know, an exciting percentage over the last 90 days and you think I'm a good trader. Um, you can hit a big copy button and put in uh, an investment amount and your account will do uh, all the trades that I do going forward in proportion to that investment. So that's really fun. That's sort of like our marquee uh, thing globally. And when you're being copied, um, you're eligible to enter what's called the popular investor program, where you basically get paid uh, to be copied. And there are certain people globally who have basically turned this into a side business for themselves, which is really exciting. Uh, the way it works in the US is very similar, but there are a couple extra hurdles you have to pass first. Uh, firstly, you need you know a couple months of uh, trading uh, history on your account. Um, you have to have a full, um, your, your account has to be fi fully filled out in terms of your bio and whatnot. Um, and you have to be, you know, obviously a positive in the P&L. Mm -hmm. And then um, our team will approach you. And uh, if you want to sign up, then uh, they'll take you through an onboarding process and then it's done. So we have, you know, quite a few people in the U.S. who are actively being copied and posting on our, our asset feeds on the platform where basically any of our 17 million users around the world um, we'll talk about 
market sentiment or trading strategy or you know posting crypto memes or whatever you want right so uh, that's kind of how it works and and that's our our marquee feature um, mm-hmm. that we present to the market so one thing I'm curious about with um, I guess crypto marketing in general not just eToro but kind of your experience as a whole is how crypto Twitter plays into that as both like a strategy and a funnel. I know, um, you know, to me and probably to you, like crypto Twitter is a very important place, but then you talk to people and they're like, oh yeah, a lot of people who trade crypto in real weight don't even mess with crypto Twitter. And there's like this whole other universe out there. There's, I guess, TikTok and all of these other social mediums and, you know, Reddit and um, Slack, like you mentioned, do you, do you find yourself focusing on crypto Twitter or do you think that's just part of like a bigger, bigger narrative? Um, that's a good question. I think that it depends who you're talking about. So if you're talking about the average consumer, um, Twitter is going to be the first place you go because that's where the most uh, qualified user in terms of quality and volume is going to be. So um, in late 2019 and early 2020, we invested a lot of effort into growing um, our footprint on crypto Twitter, which has gone really well for us. Um, but then on top of that, you know, you want to attract uh, the whales and the institutional players to your platform as well. Um, so we've done things where you sponsor events that cater those people or you um, you maybe like host, uh, you know, exclusive webinars for, for these groups of people too. So not only are you developing a list of leads of those audiences, um, but you also learn over time how better to market to those people. So uh, to your question, it's a little bit of both, but obviously your bread and butter is going to be the, uh, you know, average consumer um, investor who you're trying to bring onto the platform. Sure. And sort of a follow-up question with that. And one thing, you know, I see a lot is people who are, I hate the word, but like quote unquote influencers on crypto Twitter <laughs> who have a large following and et cetera, you know, some will do like paid ads and things. And then the community will just freak out and have this big kerfuffle about how, you know, it's, mm-hmm. they shouldn't be doing that and their integrity is compromised. Have you guys like waded into the world or like, do you have any thoughts, I guess, on the like influencer side of the marketing piece as far as like driving traffic? I'm, I'm curious how you, you'd sort of approach that as a, as a marketer in the space. Yeah, I think, well, first off with influencers, you can't just go into it with the objective of them tweeting about you and, and nothing else. You have to have a, a pretty specific and a, pr- a pretty solidified plan when you go into it. When you're setting up a relationship with an influencer, um, particularly if it's someone who's new to, to you, um, you don't know how good they are. You don't know if that's their full-time job or if this is just a side thing for them. And those are variables that will um, affect the efficacy of your campaign overall. Um, you know, we've worked with a variety of different influencers before, and we still do. And, um, you know, the people who put in more effort are the ones that do a better job for you. And it sounds obvious, but when you're doing it for the first time, you expect everyone to be putting in 110%, but it doesn't actually work that way. So going into it with um, a plan and an an expectation is really important. So setting goals. Um, Additionally, there are certain people that go into it and expect it to perform like a direct response or a performance uh, channel. And it's really not that. Um, it's more of a brand recognition play, just like buying banners on a website or, or anything else, right? Um, they happen in passing, the call to actions, while they might be strong, that's not really what Twitter's built for. Um, so also know that things will come in spurts, like a, a tweet can go out one day or a live stream might happen one day and you only might get a trickle of traffic. And then if you uh, post goes out on the right day at the right time, you can get thousands of users just from one. So, you know, it's a, it's a tricky category mm-hmm. and a lot of people are still trying to figure it out, um, particularly in crypto. And I think that there's, there's uh, this expectation that everyone's super professional. And while most people are, um, you know, there are a lot of people have like, you know, a full-time job outside of crypto, whether they talk about it or not. 
And, um, you know, when it's a side gig, those are the people that you just have to pay the most attention to. Uh, and it's not, I'm not trying to say that in a bad way. I'm trying to say it is uh, when you are, even if it's like a, you're a freelancer and you're working with a client, the more information that your client gives you about their expectations, the better you're going to perform. So you have to treat influencers the same way. Sure. Yeah. And it's interesting. You mentioned like the different, you know, you can, you can even find different times of day have materially different engagements. Like I've, I've certainly no, noticed that like the sort of 11 AM Eastern, I find is like kind of the golden hour where, you know, California's awake, Europe's still up. <laughs> like, yep. So you get this like massive swath of people. But if you tweet about something at like 4 PM Eastern, it's going to get a heck of a lot less engagement. Same thing with about seven, seven thirty Eastern uh, mm -hmm. because the West coasters are basically like waiting for the end of their day. So they're checking um, Twitter before the work day's over. Mm -hmm. You're still getting uh, a bunch of Europe. And then of course the East coasters are off work and just scrolling their phones. So uh, there's a few, you know, I would say best practice times of the day, but mm -hmm. every brand is different. Every account is different. Everyone's audience is different. So it is worth putting in the effort to at least doing anecdotal testing on that. Sure. Yeah, so um, sort of shifting now to your new project you just announced recently called Market Mix. Um, and I, I was on the its Twitter site and it says it's a newsletter focused on marketing trends across crypto and fintech industry. So, you know, before we get into the substance, I figured I'd ask, how, why, why'd you end up launching it? Um, did you see a need? And if so, just chat through that. Well, it's kind of funny. I, I didn't know that I was going to launch it until the day that I launched it. I, I put up, it was like a Sunday. I put up um, a Twitter thread with some Bitcoin SEO insights. And then a couple people uh, commented in the replies saying, hey, if this was in a newsletter and came on a regular cadence, um, I would read this. And I thought on it for a few hours that afternoon. And then after dinner that night, I just started the Substack. I wrote the first issue and launched it the next morning. So there wasn't really a lot of forethought and planning that went into it, but um, the adoption has been really exciting so far. It's only been two weeks and um, over 600 readers now. So it's, it's been really exciting. And I think that uh, me as a marketer, I, the things I like to read are things that are substantial on the topics of strategy and, and marketing ops and things like that. I think that's something that a lot of marketers like to shy away from because they feel like they're giving away state secrets. But, you know, most of the time it's, you know, whatever you think your original idea is, someone's already done it before. Someone's already written about it before and it might be, not be in the exact same way. So that's kind of how I thought about it. And at least in our industry, there isn't anyone um, in at least a newsletter form writing about marketing tactics, particularly about crypto because we're, such a niche and there are specific rules about our industry that I think are pretty obvious. Like there's a certain um, amount of effort you have to put into uh, uh, catering to the purists. There's a certain amount of effort you have to put into um, writing for people who are new to the space. Um, so I think that for, for me, um, as the community of marketers in crypto is growing, I think that you know, I just thought it would be a good idea to write about the things that I want to read about. So that's what I'm doing now. Sure. Yeah, no, and I, there's certainly a need for it. I, I, I suppose that was a bit of a leading question. And that I, I mean, as, as my time in crypto has shown, I think I've been in the space four or five years now. And it's like, the UI is just awful. Like the user yeah. experience sucks. And like, it's sort of getting better, but not really. A lot of this DeFi stuff, you need like a CS degree to even get it staked. <laughs> And, you know, it's just like, it's, it's sort of built by nerds for nerds right now. And there's just this huge need, in my opinion, for people to kind of bring it out um, and bring the UI in so we can really kind of smash retail adoption, because that's the next inevitable step. If we're going to continue to grow, we have to expand outside of just, you know, the purists and the, the computer science nerds and stuff. So it's, it's good. I'm, I'm happy to see people like you in the space writing on it, thinking about these topics and trying to encourage people to develop better UI and more sort of strategic 
policies with regards to their marketing and stuff to actually push that needle forward? Well, I think what's cool is that, um, and you know, people talk about this on Twitter all the time right now, but basically every crypto company is hiring a ton of people right now. And that's not just in marketing, that's in um, the coding side, on the customer service side and, and whatever else. Um, so what that translates to is, is people from outside of crypto coming in, working in crypto for the first time. So we're seeing a more diverse set of skills being introduced to this space. And that can only be a good thing. That can only mean that we're going to see improvements, like you said, on things like UX or uh, marketing strategy or uh, the way we treat our customers or whatever else. So I'm particularly excited about the next two years uh, from that perspective. Awesome. You you mentioned uh, just a touch ago that some folks in the marketing agency world may shy away from marketing ops and strategy. For someone like me, who's a moron, who, do, who doesn't know <laughs> what that is, can you just explain what, what that means? Sure. It's, it's kind of like uh, when you think about strategy, it's just the plan. And mm-hmm. when you think about marketing ops, that's the actual execution of it. So um, when you think about the plan, it could be things like we were just talking about. What time of day are we posting? What kind of content are we posting? Is it a meme? Are we hashtagging? Um, are we tagging anybody? Uh, those kind of things. And then when you come to the execution, it's, okay, what time of day? Um, is this a thread or not a thread? Um, are we retweeting our own posts um, later in the day? Um, is there any prep uh, that we have to do um, before the actual actual execution. And, you know, that's just a very specific example, but um, there are people who are particularly good at one, uh, one or another, and then there are people that are just generalists and that's how they like it. And um, in crypto, I think it's a little bit more fun being the generalist because you get um, exposure to all parts of the funnel, which in my opinion is the funnest part. Sure. So, you know, you, you launched the newsletter, it sounds like not on a whim, but, um, you know, you just sort of decided to do it and do it. Have you thought more about like what, I guess the goals are for, for you now that you have it? Um, you know, I've been thinking about that particularly over the last week. I, I think that there are other utilities that, uh, can come from the newsletter that currently don't. So one thing that I'll be starting this week is uh, posting some um, crypto marketing jobs. Um, I think that there are really good uh, recruiters in our crypto in, in the crypto industry that are uh, beginning to sort of come up with their own best practices for uh, bringing people into crypto and recruiting them into some of these growing crypto companies. But I think there are still people that um, don't quite hit those people's radar. So. Uh, however, I can help people get their first job in crypto or just keep up tabs with, with who's hiring for what. Um, that could also be a really fun thing. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, I'm not quite sure yet. There's a lot of things that I'm playing around with in my head. I, I get messages uh, every week right now from people saying, hey, it'd be cool if you add this or cool if you talked about that. So playing around with a few ideas right now and, um, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see where it goes. Today's episode is sponsored by Radix. In the current financial system, transactions are slow, inefficient, and expensive. And even suppose a decentralized finance platforms, or DeFi for short, like Ethereum, were not designed to support the number and speed of transactions necessary to scale DeFi. Ethereum's solution for this is sharding, which results in scalability at the cost of composability. Radix is a new cutting edge layer one platform for DeFi applications. Radix is specifically designed for DeFi, providing speed, security, and scalability. Radix uses its own next-generation consensus system called Cerberus, which has achieved over 1 million transactions per second in recent testing. Try doing that on Ethereum. Learn more at radixdlt.com. That's R-A-D-I-X-D-L-T.com. The DeFi revolution is the next big opportunity in the crypto financial market. RSK, the Bitcoin-based smart contract platform, is hosting exciting, secure, and rewarding apps that allow you to trade, lend, and borrow, all on the most robust smart contracting platform, 
powered by more than 60% of Bitcoin's computational power. For the holders out there, why let your Bitcoin just sit there when you could be earning money? Put your Bitcoin to work, trade without selling, spend without selling, lend and borrow on the most trusted network in the world. Hop onto rsk.co slash openfinance to be part of the future and start making money on your Bitcoin today. Listen, I've used a lot of exchanges over the years and all seem to have their problems, whether it's a lack of volume, bad or buggy UI, or the exchange crashing when Bitcoin makes a big move. Until now, that is. Femex is a new derivatives and spot exchange launched last November by a group of former Morgan Stanley execs. Femex sports lightning fast transactions, the ability to handle tons of transactions at once so you don't need to worry about it crashing during big moves, deep order books and real verified volume. They have several different trading pairs and leverage options. They also have low trading fees and a killer ref plan. Be sure to use this URL for my welcome bonus, www.femex.com slash a slash bully. Check it out. Thanks. Yeah, I was perusing the content before this interview and one topic that jumped out at me that I was hoping maybe you could just expand on since you'd already written a newsletter on it was arbitrage marketing Mm -hmm. um, and what, what that means and how, how people can kind of think about that with regard to crypto marketing. Yeah. So what I mean by when I say arbitrage marketing is finding opportunities in the margins to create, you know, marketing alpha for yourself. So um, finding uh, moments in your customer's day where they're not currently being marketed to or not being engaged with and put yourself in those places and see what happens. So one thing uh, we worked on in my, early at my time at eToro was just trying to understand what it meant to own crypto Twitter. If someone was to own crypto Twitter, what would that look like? So we'd put a lot of effort into thinking about that, drilling down, uh, reporting and, and writing some strategies. And one of the things um, that was particularly taking off at that point was just the, the use of GIFs every day on, on Twitter. Um, people use it to communicate, people use it to troll each other, to, to say things that they are trying to infer. Um, so I had the idea um, to start making some crypto GIFs because really there weren't a lot of people doing it consistently at the time. And uh, we started it early last year, uh, put up our first 30, and then we put 30 more and a little bit like that over time. And then in November, uh, one of the early gifts we put up, which was a, a Bitcoin GIF, it ended up moving to the first search result uh, on Giphy, um, which is really cool. So that happened in the first couple of days of November. And uh, over the next 30 days, that GIF uh, grew to over 15 million um, views on that one piece of content alone. And that's basically free uh, brand marketing right there. Um, so we found an interesting way to uh, get our brand uh, in front of people who, um, who are looking to express themselves in one way or another and uh, just include our logo uh, in those pieces of content. And, you know, it's kind of cool. I get to see these pieces of, of uh, you know, video GIFs pop up um, on our Twitter feed all the time, uh, just organically. And that's a pretty cool feeling. So when I talk about um, marketing ar arbitrage, it's about finding uh, these places where people aren't currently getting marketed to and um, putting something there and see if anyone will engage with it. Nice. Yeah, I, I think I, I know what GIF you mean. It's like the rocket ship with the Bitcoin yeah, exactly. on it, right? Yeah, that's, that's great. And I, I have seen that plenty of times, so I'm not surprised it has a ton of views. <laughs> Um, is that, so is this similar to the idea of like guerrilla marketing? I remember he, that was sort of like a, a hot phrase yeah. a while ago, and maybe I'm dating myself here a little bit. Um, no, no, you're right. I guess if there was kind of a, a version of like a digital guerrilla marketing strategy, it kind of would be that. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. And yeah, I mean, that seems like a sensible approach because, you know, I've, I think I've talked about this before is like everyone's attention now is becoming so valuable and media outlets and the way people 
consume media is becoming so fragmented that like if if you're able to catch someone's attention that's really valuable and it's becoming more valuable like attention is kind of the the commodity that marketing folks are seeking these days and so you can get that in a lot of different ways twitter is a great place because it actually you know keeps track of the the raw numbers and things mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think i saw naraj had a post about snails you saw that one last yeah, week yeah. and it had fun. like i forget what it was like 16 million impressions or something <laughs> just outrageous <laughs> i was thinking about that i was like man that's like the population of a of a pretty big state and those people all saw this and you know like i doubt network news even gets those numbers anymore so when it comes to like a medium of being able to get engagement twitter is extraordinarily powerful we're entering an interesting time because right now um, anyone can create an audience, right? You can just do it as a, you know, a side gig. You could do it as part of something you're building. Um, and then you can come leverage that audience and build a business on top of that. You don't need to, I guess people aren't attracted necessarily for the product or the work that you're doing as much as the personality. And then once you put out a product or a service on top of it, people will associate that brand uh, with the product instead of the other way around, which is kind of traditionally how it's been done. So it, we're in kind of a, a new paradigm when you think about it that way. Yeah, no, I mean, look at my experience, right? Like I just started out like sort of shit posting altcoin charts <laughs> <laughs> with 500 people and then more and more people kept following me. And then, you know, I think I got a hundred thousand followers and Jason at Blockworks was like, Hey man, why don't you have a podcast? I was like, all right. Yeah. That sounds like a fun idea. Just like that. Right. And so, yeah, it was like the platform built the content and not the other way around, which is interesting. And it's certainly new. Um, and I guess sort of to your, to your experience too, with this newsletter now, now you have, you know, over 10,000 followers, you have the coveted blue check mark I saw. Congratulations on that. <laughs> Thanks. So, okay, this is a bit of an aside, but like, how do you, is it a state secret or are you able to explain how you got that? Uh, it is a little bit of, okay. I mean, it's not right. really a state secret. Um, I mean, sometimes you get connected to the right person at the right time. Uh, sometimes Twitter is actively looking to add check marks. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure in the next week they're about to roll out their new uh, verification process. So gotcha. I think that's probably going to happen to a lot more people in the short term. You know, and it's not, I mean, obviously I, I'd like one, but one of the reasons I think that they should be rolled out in crypto is like, I tweeted about this today. I think I've had like four or five imposters in my yeah. replies today and then they block me. So I can't report them. And it's like, they're scamming people out of real money. Um, and it's just like the new Ethereum scam from 2017 all right. over again. So yeah, I think that's probably partially why they're updating the policy. I think, just like you're saying, there's people getting scammed every day. Uh, Peter McCormack mm -hmm. uh, was tweeting about this, you know, really just actively over the last month. I think he said his neighbor got scammed at a, like 10 grand or something like that. Um, so it's obviously a problem. And I think that Twitter is aware of it. Um, and, you know, I think that we can all agree that it's gotten better for sure since, you know, 2018 and mm -hmm. early 2019. But it's the problem is not going away and it's really hard to get rid of it. Sure. So, you know, one thing I'm always curious about, and I actually get asked this a fair bit, and I can never give a very good answer is like, as a, as a marketer, do you have advice for people trying to like, build their own personal brand? Um, you know, there's sort of macro and micro marketing here. And, you know, what you do in your day jobs macro and what we all do on Twitter is micro. And do you have any like sort of micro advice for folks on Twitter or other social media platforms, maybe in crypto, maybe not, who are looking to kind of expand their reach from a, like tips from a marketing point of view, I suppose. Yeah, I think, I mean, to contextualize a year and a half ago, maybe a year ago, I had like 1200 followers. So it happened pretty rapidly for me. Um, and I think the first thing is first off, don't try so hard. There are people who try really hard because they're um, they see what the, the big accounts are doing. Um, and those things might work on those big accounts because that's what grew them to those size, those sizes, but they have, uh, this personality associated with those accounts that some of the smaller accounts don't have yet. So first off, 
you know, authenticity, be yourself, have your own brand for a little while, and you'll get a grassroots group of people who will follow you and, and engage with your content. So that's a place to start. And then, you know, treat it a little bit like an experiment. Like I'm a marketer, so I will inevitably think about it this way, but you can run like little A-B tests and see if you post with an emoji or without an emoji, does that work better? If you're posting a, a GIF or not a GIF, does that work better? Uh, and like we were talking about before, times of day. So there's all these little, little things on the margins mm -hmm. um, where you'll see maybe you po post on average and you get one like, and then all of a sudden you get 10 on one post. Well, why did that post get 10 likes? Mm -hmm. um, so that's something. And then, you know, another thing is, and I think this is an underrated part of it, but like make friends, like meet these people. Like there's plenty of people who are anonymous on crypto Twitter and, you know, you DM them one day and then all of a sudden you guys chat like once a week or something. Mm -hmm. And then that person's your buddy and, you know, you're not doxing them or anything. You know, you're, you're kind of like internet friends. So I highly recommend networking. Like everyone for the most part is approachable on crypto Twitter. Um, you know, some of the bigger accounts, it's tough because they get, you know, hundreds of DMs. Um, and I'm sure that's really hard to manage, mm -hmm. but there are plenty of people uh, that are very, very approachable. Um, and I think that that's a real underrated growth hack right there. Just, you know, make friends. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, from that's good advice from the marketing side and it's damn good advice from the trading side too. Like I've, I've had this conversation with people before, like if, if you're just out there on an island and you're like trying to figure out crypto by yourself, you're probably going to burn out or, you know, eventually you're going to move on, I think. But if you build some meaningful relationships and you have people, you know, you can bounce ideas off of or, they, oh, have you heard of this? Or what do you think of this idea? You know, it, it really helps kind of make the experience stickier, I suppose. Totally. Uh, and I think that's where the uh, addicting nature of Twitter comes in. It's like once <laughs> right. you have a little bit of like a community there, particularly like in quarantine like this, or sure. pseudo quarantine, whatever, um, you know, it, it, it gives you a, a social outlet that's hard to find right now. Yeah. And like, and, and people you can like have that in common with, right? Like you Absolutely. Know, people know what an ERC 20 is, or, you know, it's sort of, you speak the language you're interested in sort of the same yeah. things. And yeah, um, that's a good point. I mean, like it's hard, I think for the average person, it's probably hard to find another person who's into crypto. Right. Um, like I have all these friends from back home that know I'm into Bitcoin or whatever. And I, you know, it's that time of the market. So I'm getting a lot of people DMing me for advice or feedback or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's rare. It's, it's easier to go on crypto Twitter and like ask a question and, and, you know, have a meaningful conversation. Um, or hopefully have a meaningful conversation on Twitter with someone who knows as much as you do. Sure. Um, so, you know, it's, it's always about going to the right place for what you're trying to get out of it. For sure. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you, and this, this relates again, I, I went back and reread your newsletters and the most recent one I think was, was about how like, I think four out of five largest financial institutions you can buy crypto from now. Yeah, um, almost and, five out of five. And you know you're seeing this huge run up. I think the bull the bull market so far has been attributable mainly to institutional interest and investment. Um, and I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on like from a marketing point of view. I suppose that's been a big change from kind of the libertarian nerdy grassroots beginnings of crypto now to kind of the Goldman Sachs Fidelity getting involved. You know the more kind of buttoned up corporations entering the scene do you have any sort of i know that's a massive question but <laughs> from kind of a marketing point of view has that um impacted strategies do you think that'll have longer term impacts on sort of the the marketing and ux part of the space well i think the 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 thing about institutions getting more aggressive in the space is that it just adds levels of legitimacy to crypto in general mm -hmm. um you know, you can, you as an, a normal person out in the world might start reading articles about, you know, Square buying crypto or, or uh, some institution that, that you might admire um, getting into the space or even just saying nice things about it. So all of a sudden it's on your radar as more than just like a passing fad. Like I think maybe it was in 2017 for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Now it's, you know, quote unquote back. 
and in a new run and there's all this institutional money. So I think all of a sudden people who might've been overwhelmed with the intricacies and of private keys and being your own bank and all this rhetoric, um, now having the opportunity to go to all these different platforms that are designed fairly well and all you can, you know, just like buying uh, a stock of Tesla, you can go in there and buy a, a slice of Bitcoin. There's a lot of people who are just sort of giving into that now. I think it's also underrated how many people that are in the demographic who are, are most likely to invest in crypto, um, how they were sort of just emerging into the workforce in 2017. And now in 2021, they actually have a little bit of disposable income where they can invest in things. And you know maybe they don't know what an ETF is or they are just learning what a high yield savings account is and they, they feel semi-confident enough to invest in something. So they're now in a position where they can put, you know, a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars into Bitcoin for the first time and not being afraid of losing the shirt on their back or, or whatever it is, right? So I think that when it comes to institutions coming in, from a marketer's perspective, the best thing to come from that is adding legitimacy and trust into the space. Sure. Yeah, and your point about like, it's just a f people are a few years older now, like it's it's really interesting to look at the generational data around cryptocurrency. And I'm sure yep. you're aware of this, but it's like, if you're under 30 and you're polled about crypto, you're like, I love it. I'm into it, Bitcoin over gold every time. And if you're over 60, it's the exact opposite. So like, as time goes on, it's just inevitable that like, you know, the, the silent generation and the boomers are going to give up their wealth to the millennials and the zoomers. And then, you know, this sea change will just naturally occur where people are like, ah, screw gold. I'd rather own Bitcoin. Um, and it's interesting to watch that occur, like in real time, you're seeing all of these, you know, young entertainers tweeting about Bitcoin and you're like, holy smokes, this is happening really quick. Um, and it's pretty fun to watch. Absolutely. I mean, I've got, a, a gold bug friend and I'm going to dox him uh, because I think he, there's a chance he might hear this. So my friend Brent is a real uh, gold bug. He's uh, listens to Peter Schiff podcast and the whole thing, sure. but over the last year or so it's been slowly grinding him down. And I think that he is about to buy his first uh, small amount of Bitcoin ever. Um, so I think that you're, you're totally right. There's um, people that are seeing, um, you know, respected individuals get into the space. And um, uh, even if it's just like a financial hedge, whether it's inflation or whatever else, um, people are finding their own utility in it. Um, a lot of people ask like, what is the utility of crypto? And you're like, okay, well, what are your concerns? Like, what are your, your objectives, sure. whether they're financial or just uh, the state of the world? And you can find one thing or another that will fit their perspective, whether it's a payments thing or a store of value thing or a hedge against inflation, there's always going to be something. And learning about how to talk about those things is really important too, because you can um, speak to every level of different uh, financial literacy to find what makes sense to those people. And then, you know, if they feel so inclined, they, you know, put some money in and join the, join the movement. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love I, it's sort of a cheeky bullshit line, but how you're like how a lot of Bitcoiners are like, oh, only 21, 21 million will ever exist. Right. And there's 36 million millionaires in the world or something. And so, yeah, like there's all of these narratives to get people to be like, well, maybe it's like maybe it's just a good idea to own a little bit. Um, yeah. Scarcity is uh, a really powerful one, too. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about and get your thoughts on from a marketing perspective is the NFT stuff. And I know, I, I know your buddies with Frank Franklin, who was on the show previously. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's obviously huge in the NFT space with Block Party and his own sort of artwork. I, I'm just curious, you know, maybe again, like how people can get established in that space. If there's like marketing ideas you think would be useful um, from kind of an NFT point of view, or just more generally, like your thoughts on, on that side of the crypto space as well. Yeah, I think just as like an, a marketing opportunity, NFTs are really cool um, because all of a sudden you as, so you as an individual, whether you're an artist or whatever else, you can tokenize a version of your work and that doesn't have to be a piece of art. It can be, um, 
you know, a phrase. It could be, and you know, you see these projects popping up where you can tokenize tweets mm -hmm. and trade those, which I think is a very cool idea. Um, so I, I think it's a really interesting way to get people who are not crypto native uh, into the crypto space. So that's really cool. Um, additionally, there are, there are opportunities with NFTs to bring uh, crypto stuff into the physical world, right? Like I think that back in 2016, 2017, 2018 even, a lot of people bought ledgers partially because, oh cool, like I have a physical thing that represents this digital thing I'm doing. Of course, it's like, you know, a responsible way of managing your assets and all this stuff, but it's also like a, a you know, something to, to, that they can put in their hand that makes them feel involved in one way or another. Sure. I think that in the NFT world, they're also working on opportunities um, to do that as well, whether it's, you know, digital frames that, you know, read your wallet and will display whatever the NFT is that you have in your wallet or, um, you know, partnering with services that print physical versions of a one of one digital asset that you own. Um, so I think that stuff like that is cool and interesting because it's approachable by the average person. So, you know, I think there are certain people that write off at NFTs, but I think it's a, a really cool space. And Franklin obviously has done like a big part in reading mm -hmm. me up on, on that movement. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped about it, too. I, I love the space. I love thinking about it. And yeah, I know a lot of people are like, well, why can't you just print out a copy of it's like, all right, come on, man, like, <laughs> especially like, for people point. in crypto, like, you know, it's the same shit Peter Schiff says about Bitcoin, where it's like, well, you, I could just make a new Bitcoin. And it's like, well, no, you can't. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it, it's certainly a topic that that I find interesting. And it's cool to hear the marketing side the take of it. Um, anything else you're sort of seeing as far as trends and in, in fintech or crypto? I know we spent most of our time talking about crypto, but I, I, I believe your newsletter is also about fintech. A any mm -hmm. sort of other trends that have caught your eye recently? Well, you kind of alluded to it before, but I think it's, it's worth emphasizing again how, how cool it is that you can buy Bitcoin on four, soon to be five, uh, of the top finance apps in either the Google Play or iOS store. And it's only not five because they haven't rolled it out on Venmo yet. Um, so like if, if you contrast that from where we were in 2015, if you go back and tell someone that that's going to happen, they're probably going to laugh in your face, or at least <laughs> a lot of people will. Um, I think there's all these, these announcements, all these like these uh, slow iterations that are happening now that we take for granted that would have freaked people out years ago. Um, so sometimes I like to just point these things out and appreciate the moment mm -hmm. um, because all of a sudden, as of last year, uh, buying Bitcoin is now what I like to call like a me too feature of, of FinTech, you know, all mm -hmm. in 2019, all the FinTechs, you know, someone launched a debit card and they're like, Oh, look at me too. I did this and I have a debit card now or a credit card or whatever else. So it's, it's interesting that they're all going the Bitcoin route. Um, and, you know, going back to what we were saying before, the fact that institutions are jumping into the space gives fintechs um, at least enough, like, you know, consumer context and, uh, and trust to go into it as well and offer it to their customers. Mm -hmm. so yeah, it is. That's so just really exciting. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm with you. And a lot of people poo pooed the PayPal news and I was like, guys, this is like the biggest announcement I think I've ever heard since I've been in <laughs> exactly. crypto. And another thing too is, so a lot of the maxis will be like, well, you know, you don't actually hold, you don't hold your keys. But I don't know for anyone listening who might not know this, Paxos, the, the custodial agent that manages PayPal's cryptocurrency holdings is required under New York law to hold one for one every Bitcoin that someone buys on there. So you know, as, as people go on there and they buy Bitcoin, Paxos actually has to go out and hold one Bitcoin for every, every Bitcoin that's held on the PayPal platform, which yeah. inevitably will have a solid impact on price, presumably. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the same thing could be said for Robinhood as well. You yeah. can't withdraw from Robinhood and people cheer that on all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, at the end of the day, all of these things are positives, you know, you can be 
a maximalist in one way or another on a particular issue, but I still think it's important to appreciate that the vast majority of people um, are more willing to invest in Bitcoin for the first time on a platform they trust than on a platform they don't. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So if someone's already on TD Ameritrade or if someone's already on Robinhood or PayPal or you know all the other platforms that we'll be launching at even in the future, um, that is an, a plus because as they go further down the rabbit hole, as we know, they're going to learn about holding their own private keys and managing their own wallets. And hopefully uh, most of those people will, you know, migrate into further into the ecosystem that way. Totally. And on the progress point too, I, I actually had a similar conversation with Haley Lennon, who's an attorney in the space. She does mm -hmm. a lot of regulatory stuff. And, you know, she was, she noted that her, she started her career at Silvergate Bank, which is like the only bank at the time who would even touch yep. crypto companies. Like most, most, most banks wouldn't even give them bank accounts because they're nope. like, ah, no, it's too scary. And now, like we saw a few months ago, we have our own banks. There's like, you know, um, the one in Wyoming, Caitlin Long started, Kraken has its own bank. And yep. it's like, we have our own banks now. So <laughs> it's just incredible <laughs> what, what's happened in two, three years. I think it's it's really under celebrated. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. But maybe that's just um, you know a sign of the times. Things are moving so quickly that it's hard to step back and appreciate some of these um, you know moves the industry is making. Sure. Well, that's a good reminder, both in crypto and in life, to stop and enjoy the successes from time to time. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Don't forget to take your profits. Exactly. Yes. It's a bull market after all. Well, it yeah. is, at least as we're talking. Who knows what it'll look like when the episode's uh -oh. released in two weeks, but <laughs> I think we'll be fine. I don't know. We'll see. Not financial advice. <laughs> awesome. Any anything else you want to chat about while you're while you're on here, or is um, should people just go sign up for your newsletter immediately? Yeah, I think every single person listening should go sign up to my newsletter. You can find it at marketmix.substack.com. Um, you can tweet at the newsletter at marketmix underscore uh, or me at at Brad Michelson on Twitter. Um, oh. I'd love to hear feedback. One more question I had. So Substack, you can either have paid or non-paid or free, right? Is, yep. It's free, right? Yep, it's free. Are you planning on doing any sort of paid offering eventually? Uh, not right now, but maybe. Okay. Maybe I'll have a good idea down the line. Sure. Well, there you go. I mean, if you're listening, it's free. So just go sign up. There you I, go. I, I subscribe to probably 20 newsletters and I love them. It's like, it's such an interesting, you, you just get like free alpha in your mailbox every morning. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I always read my morning newsletters while I drink my coffee. So yeah. it's a nice way to get the day going. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Brad, hey, hey, man, I really appreciate you coming on. And um, yeah, for all my listeners, go check out his newsletter and follow him on Twitter. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes go live every Wednesday, 7am Eastern. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter at BullyESQ to continue the conversation. See you next week.